Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Before we start the show, here's a message from our sponsor, Verbo. Struggling to find the perfect vacation home? You need Verbo. They do the hard work for you, matching you to the perfect place to stay every time. From condos to cabins, places with yards, grills, or hot tubs, they've got it all. Search VRBO in the App Store to download the Verbo app today. Take a vacation from the frustrating vacation search. That's Verbo, V-R-B-O, available in the App Store now. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Welcome back to Case Closed. My name is Charlie Spicer, and this week we're going to look at the relationship between Andrea and Rusty. We'll trace their lives from their beginnings in college all the way through their married lives in Georgia. We hear how the recession hits these happy newlyweds and how they cope. We begin the day after Detective Andrew Thompson and Sergeant Gary Cordellino try to serve the Snyderman household with a search warrant. Remember from the last episode that Andrea's mother turns them away. In a controversial move, the detectives agree to return the next day. They will later question this decision. We now go to the Snyderman house. The officers come into the house and find Andrea, her parents Bonita and Herbert Greenberg, and Rusty's mother and father sitting at the table. Andrea and Rusty's now fatherless children play in an adjacent room. The officers set up a tape recorder and begin asking questions. For the next two hours, the detectives get to know the Snyderman family and their secrets. We begin with Andrea's early life and follow her until she meets Rusty. They go from young lovers to happy newlyweds to a couple struggling through the recession. Everything was fine between them, according to Andrea. She was born Andrea Greenberg and grew up with her brother Todd in the northern Ohio city of Sylvania. A bright student with an aptitude for math and science, she went to the University of Indiana in Bloomington, majoring in computer information systems and technology. In September 1994, she visited the campus's Hillel chapter, the Jewish home away from home, There were activities, religious services, and socializing with other students. She started talking to a junior named Rusty Snyderman, whom she'd seen before on campus, but hadn't spoken to until now. Rusty asked her about her sweater. It had the logo of the summer camp she had gone to with her brother Todd for years. Rusty had a friend who also went. Later that evening, with the retreat over, Rusty called Andrea. They went out together for the first time that same night. The son of an accountant, Russell Snyderman, was, like Andrea, from a close-knit Jewish family in northern Ohio. 
An overachiever, still well-remembered at Beechwood High School, Rusty served as the editor of the school newspaper and played on the golf team. His goodbye column his senior year, reprinted in full after his murder more than 15 years later, revealed the traits that would later serve him well in business. He was self-deprecating, charming, funny, optimistic. Both bright and ambitious, the young couple explored the quaint towns surrounding the university, Rusty's obituary would say, and soon found they shared a family history. Their grandparents on both sides had founded the same synagogue in Florida. Rusty graduated in 1996 and returned home to Cleveland to work at an accounting firm. Andrea followed him there for the summer after her junior year, living in an apartment and visiting Rusty and his parents frequently. Donald and Marilyn Snyderman were fond of their son's girlfriend, and Donald later remarked that they seemed very much in love. After Andrea graduated in 1998, they found a small apartment in Chicago, both working at Deloitte Consulting. Andrea's parents frowned on them living together before marriage, but Andrea was certain it was only a matter of time before they were husband and wife. Rusty proposed in 2000 while they vacationed at a resort in Laguna Niguel in Orange County, California. Over the next hectic months, they planned a wedding while Rusty applied to business schools. In rapid succession, Harvard Business School accepted him, and on December 30, 2000, they tied the knot in a ceremony in that same Florida synagogue co-founded by their grandparents. The newlyweds settled into an even smaller apartment in Boston. The closet was so tiny they couldn't use hangers, while Rusty attended business school and Andrea worked at a struggling startup company. When the company went under, Rusty found a posting for a job at the business school in the information technology department. Andrea was hired as a liaison between the technical people who wrote the software and the Harvard professors and faculty who used it. She saw Rusty every day, and they socialized with his classmates. Andrea was in the midst of a major project when Rusty, after graduation, got offered a business development position for Siebel Systems offices in Atlanta. The couple agreed he should take the position. After three months in a comfortable company apartment at the San Mateo, California headquarters while Rusty trained, they moved to Smyrna, Georgia, northwest of Atlanta, into a neighborhood with other young couples who would become their longtime friends. After their first child, daughter Sophia, was born in August 2005, the Snydermans sought a new neighborhood with better public schools. They found it in Dunwoody. Rusty would move to another company, this time doing wealth management at J.P. Morgan in Atlanta. Their two incomes and savings got them a $900,000 house on a quiet cul-de-sac. As members of the Congregation or Hadash Synagogue, they were active in Atlanta's Jewish community. Sophia would be enrolled in Dunwoody Prep Preschool, and when son Ian was born in October 2007, he stayed home with Andrea while she worked out of the home. The Snydermans made extra payments on their home to build equity and earned enough to buy a second house on Lake Oconee in Eatonton, Georgia. Their lives as busy young professionals with small children were not always easy. As the country sank into a recession, Harvard had less work for contractors like Andrea. Soon, her remaining duties dwindled. Then, in late 2007, Rusty was laid off from J.P. Morgan, a victim of the hit on financial institutions. Property values throughout the Atlanta region plunged, including the mini-mansions of Dunwoody, where some residents found themselves owing more than their houses were worth. 
The Snydermans now had two mortgages and two children, and neither Andrea nor Rusty had a full-time job. But they had time and resources. Even during the worst of the recession, they had nearly a million dollars in the bank in cash and retirement accounts. Characteristically self-confident, Rusty set out to find another job without having to settle for the first opportunity that came along. He explored several ventures, businesses he could purchase or start up, but none panned out. He eventually took another salaried position, this time as chief financial officer for Discovery Point Child Development Centers, a daycare chain based in Duluth, Georgia. Almost immediately, Rusty clashed with the owner. His days at Discovery Point seemed numbered. By late 2009, with Rusty on the brink of unemployment and Andrea's contract work with Harvard petering out, she ventured into the job market. She commiserated with a friend, the wife of one of Rusty's college roommates, who was trying to return to the work world after having children. She led Andrea to a woman in her book club named Ariella Newman, who was married to a top-level manager at GE Energy in the same technical computer field as Andrea. Andrea didn't know Ariella or her husband, Hemi Newman, but they had mutual acquaintances. After an interview, Hemi hired Andrea in March 2010 as a quality systems manager in the product creation department. Job descriptions were so technical that a person unschooled in technology and engineering would struggle to understand what anybody even did at GE Energy. But for Andrea, it meant a solid job in a rough economy, full benefits, and a salary of $125,000 a year. She was to report to work in April. That same week, Rusty was fired from Discovery Point. Rusty finally had the freedom to fulfill his dream of building a company that he could pass on to his children. Then, at a party, he met a man with an idea for a voicemail service with a celebrity twist. In a filing with the Georgia Secretary of State, Rusty named the business Star Voicemail and described it as a service providing custom voicemail greetings featuring notable sports, movie, music, and TV personalities. He registered a domain name and began building a website. Andrea helped with the technical side and became one of its most enthusiastic supporters. The startup showed promise. Meetings were held with investors. But with Andrea now holding down a full-time office job, Rusty had taken over the bulk of the childcare duties. It was a difficult transition, Andrea would later acknowledge. At times, Rusty would be annoyed with the situation, she said, particularly when home life cut into the time he wanted to spend on the voicemail startup. Complicating things were Andrea's unexpected travel demands for GE. Andrea later said that she didn't want to be away from home very often, so she and Rusty came to an agreement that it would only be about 20% of her job. It turned out to be more than that. Within days, she was on the road, and her travel schedule would call for one trip a month on average. When she wasn't on the road or staying late at the office, she had to take work home with her. Rusty saw the demands on Andrea and began to feel guilty. Most of the details of Andrea and Rusty's relationship came out in Andrea's interview with police the day after the murder. The picture painted was of a normal couple, with challenges shared by other families in the Georgia suburbs. Andrea's lawyer would later categorize them as having a happy, hectic life, where they were enjoying each other, they were enjoying their kids. Nothing on the surface suggested why Rusty would be targeted for murder. 
That is, until Detective Thompson asked Andrea if anything unusual had happened recently. After the break, we'll hear about two unusual instances Andrea described to Detective Thompson that suggest something wasn't quite right. This episode of Case Closed is brought to you by the audiobook edition of Saving Megan by D.J. Palmer. It's read for you by Mary Stewart Masterson and Rebecca Soler. Some would say Becky Gerard is a devoted mother who would do anything for her only child. Others, including her husband Carl, claim she's obsessive and maybe even dangerous. Becky's 15-year-old daughter, Megan, has been in and out of hospitals with a plague of unexplained illnesses. But when the ailments take a sharp turn, clashing medical opinions begin to raise questions about the puzzling nature of Megan's illness. Doctors suspect Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a rare behavioral disorder where the primary caretaker seeks medical help for made-up symptoms of a child. Is this what's going on? Or is there something even more sinister at hand? Listen to an excerpt of the audiobook at macmillanaudio.com slash palmer. That's macmillanaudio.com slash p-a-l-m-e-r. This week, Case Closed is also supported by another podcast called But That's Another Story. It's a show about how the books we love can change us. Best-selling author Will Schwalbe talks to influential guests about the books that have meant the most to them in their lives. Hear Jodie Foster talk about reading Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger. The experience convinced her to put her acting career on hold so she could go to college and form a community. And hear from NPR's Sam Sanders about how the book New People by Danzy Senna changed the way he thinks about race. It's a beautiful show full of moving stories. Find But That's Another Story wherever you listen. We pick up with Detective Thompson asking Andrea about any unusual occurrences. Minutes into the interview, she pointed to two events that had left her and Rusty shaken— The first occurred a month earlier, on October 20th, when she was upstairs at home with Rusty and heard the garage door open. They called 911, and a Dunwoody police officer took a report. Nothing had been stolen, and it didn't appear that anybody had entered the garage or house. Police suggested that it may have been a technical glitch, somebody with the same garage remote code activating the Snyderman's opener by mistake. Three weeks later, they got a second scare. Around 8.30 a.m. on Wednesday, November 10th, Rusty was getting ready to take Ian to Dunwoody Prep when he thought he smelled gas. Walking around to the side of the house to check the meter, Rusty saw a man lying face down on the ground near the air conditioning unit. He thought he was sleeping, Andrea told Thompson and Cordellino, but then the person stood up and Rusty asked him some questions. One, he asked this person, are you okay? And two, are you supposed to be here? There was no response. Rusty got smart, ran into the car in the garage, backed up the driveway into the street, and called 911. Andrea was at her desk at GE at the time, having dropped off Sophia at the elementary school on the way to work. Recounting what Rusty later told her, she said that the man fled across the lawn and into the woods behind the house. 
As he ran, he held something in the small of his back. Rusty didn't see it, but feared it was a gun. Their concern was deepened by the fact that the man seemed to know the layout of their property. Had the man run down the other side of the house, he would have plunged into a deep gully. Instead, he went toward a pathway so secluded that only people who lived there knew it existed. Rusty later took Ian to daycare and returned to talk to police and firefighters who had come to make sure there was no danger from the leak. The gas guy, when Rusty told his story, said the man was probably not just looking for a place to sleep, but was stealing copper, Andrea said. Assuring Andrea that he'd follow up on the reports, Thompson next asked Andrea about Rusty's business dealings. As Andrea appeared frustrated at the extent of the questions, Cordellino told her that they were going in every direction they possibly could. Instead, she reminded them of this man on the side of my house. Yes, I could see that man wanting to kill Rusty because he saw his face and he was worried that he might get in trouble. I can see that. That makes sense to me, she said. Thompson told her that everything was being done at the same time in the investigation and warned her against drawing conclusions based on their questions. He assured her another detective was well-positioned to follow up on the mysterious man lead. Andrea repeated that the man had to know the neighborhood, had to have been there before. She suggested it may have been a construction worker from a project on a house behind theirs. Thompson said her information was helpful and he'd pass it on to the gang officer, then asked her more questions about Rusty's businesses. They were more than an hour into the interview when Thompson broached a subject he had stayed away from because of its sensitivity. The group at the table had now grown to include Rusty's brother, Stephen, a civil lawyer from Ohio. Thompson asked, has there been anybody recently, and when I say recently, within the past year, that has expressed interest in you? Yes, she said without hesitation. Who? My boss. What's his name? Hemi Newman, she said, and she began to cry. Hemi Newman, you'll recall, is the boss Andrea called on her way to the crime scene. The same boss who hired her at GE Energy at his wife's suggestion. Back to the interview. Thompson asked how old Newman was, and she said she had no idea, in his late 40s. She described him as shortish and gestured to her brother Todd, who gave his height. She said he was also about Todd's weight. Has it been a flirtation, or has he specifically said, I'm interested in you, Thompson asked. He specifically said that, yes. Thompson asked if there had been interest in Rusty in the same way. Andrea said that she didn't think so. Andrea's mother said, you didn't ask if that was reciprocated? Was it reciprocated? asked Thompson. In a quiet voice, barely audible above the household din, Andrea said, I made it clear that I am not an individual that would do something like this. After Andrea gave Hemi's title as an operations manager, her mother added, she's conducted herself above board. She's extremely professional. The detectives looked at the woman questioningly. This is Andrea's mother, she said, identifying herself for the tape recorder. I just need for you to know that as soon as that happened, she said that to me. She said, I made it very clear to him that I wasn't interested in him, that this wasn't going to go anywhere. Cordellino asked, you knew about this? I'm close, said Andrea's mother. 
Thompson made a mental note to continue this line of questioning in a follow-up one-on-one interview with Andrea at the police station later. Thompson and Cordellino segued to the search warrants. The detectives were authorized by the courts to seize the family's computer and personal and financial papers. Andrea's mother became particularly animated about it, as did Andrea. They worried about losing the computer and everything on it, including family pictures. They acknowledged that overnight they had already taken some pictures off the hard drive. The detectives said this would be a problem, one that could be exploited by a defense attorney, and told them they'd have to sign a document saying that the photos were the only things removed. As the detectives went through the couple's papers in the upstairs office, they found a document that Donald Snyderman, as the family accountant, recognized. It was for Rusty's life insurance policy in the amount of nearly $2 million, payable to his beneficiary, Andrea. When her father Herbert saw the bill, he told Donald that Andrea had no idea Rusty was insured for that much. Detectives would come back to this first interview with Andrea over and over. Andrea and Rusty's financial struggles during the recession. Hemi Newman pursuing Andrea. The family's reluctance to hand over the computer. The insurance policy. Are these points coincidences or motives? Next, we follow the detectives as they explore some new leads, including more digging into the man outside the house. Was he a homeless person trying to get some sleep? Or was he a failed assassin? And what about the silver minivan the shooter drove off in? We'll explore all of this and more next time on Case Closed. Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. This season is based on the book Crazy for You by Michael Fleeman. Get the book or the audiobook using the link in our show notes. The show is produced by Becky Celestina with help from Katie Ferguson, Sarah Grill, and Alyssa Martino. We also want to thank Michael Fleeman. Can't wait to hear what really happened to Rusty Snyderman? Hear all of this season right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash caseclosed and use code CLOSED to start your free trial. I'm Charlie Spicer. Thanks so much for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.